Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, you okay there? Yeah, I'm just wondering because, you know, you hit record and then you said ready and I said, yeah, I want to make sure you're going to edit that <laughs> off of the final product. Why? Because <laughs> you have a history of late. I'm just uh, all right. Let me explain, chops. everyone. We've gotten a lot of uh, feedback about the episode two weeks ago. Not because oh yeah yeah. Last week at the time we recorded the last last week's episode, mm-hmm. the previous week's episode wasn't up yet, so people didn't. Yeah, so we couldn't address it then. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what happened? What happened was I just went on a trip and I edited those uh, episodes rather quickly, like one right after the other, pretty mm-hmm. much, and I completely forgot about. Uh, my the interruption in which my neighbor told me that my lights were on and so I had to go turn them off and all that and we had just the car in the car in the car yes he did not <laughs> hey what's going on in here <laughs> it's usually just pitch black I didn't even know anyone lived here for a while until you guys came up and uh, <laughs> you know complained about how loud we were being um, but uh, yeah and that's the thing is uh, it's interesting some people you mentioned the feedback some people heard the story that I told you uh, ostensibly off mic. Uh, while other people just heard silence. I think it was quiet enough that if you had your headphones in, maybe you heard I it. I would assume that's what yeah. it was, yes. But uh, so, but the, the deal is this. So I went in and I uh, re-edited. Removed the offending section. Exactly, and it was very offensive. <laughs> I used so many racial uh, <laughs> epithets. But um, uh, And so you can actually uh, re-download it now, and it'll be fine. You know, I like when I realized that was still up, like, I'm not the kind of person who goes around using racial epithets at all. Right, right. But I still have that thought, like, what did I say? Did I say something? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, everyone, I am joking when I say that. I wasn't being racist during no. that. Okay. But, like, do you have that in, like... Oh, yeah. Because, I, you know, I mean, you never know if I'm t- saying, you know, something bad about, you know, the Slash Film cast and how terrible <laughs> that is and, you know, or... Uh, talking about you know rudy obias and how much how much i hate him or like any of that <laughs> stuff like you don't know if you're saying it right because uh but yeah I, I do have like uh you and i <clears throat> excuse me easy there i'm gonna have a drink of water here okay why don't, why don't you uh keep the listener entertained all right they're on the edge of their seat they want to know what i'm going to talk about i know i'm a little excited myself actually i have to assume something really offensive no not quite but like you and i have talked I don't think we ever discussed it on the podcast, but we've talked a lot uh, about the imp of the perverse. Oh yes, and I yes, w- which is like just the temptation to do something awful just to yeah. see how it'll play out. You are faced in the moment, uh, just with like, like you're standing on top of a building. It's like I'm just gonna jump off. Right. I I don't feel suicidal. But there's nothing stopping me. And right, would it, it would be crazy because that's yeah. something people don't do. Maybe so I'll like, grab this kid and take him with me. <laughs> like uh, I would when I worked on um, like a movie, like on a movie set. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it'd be like quiet on the set, and everybody would be just <laughs> really, really quiet. And I would think like, what if I just started singing? <laughs> what would people do if I just started singing like a Beatles song or something? Oh yeah. Uh, but then there is the other one that I will admit has crossed my mind. I'll be like having a conversation with uh, someone who is a minority, and my my head will be like, "What if I just said something awful right now? Oh yeah. What if I said something racist? <laughs> Did I ever tell <laughs> just you about? To say it. Okay, my uh, this was several years ago. I was back in uh, Missouri. Oh man, look at this seamless transition into the 
next thing I'm going to talk about. But awesome. uh, I was in Missouri. My brother and my I don't nep- think it's seamless anymore because you commented on it. You ripped the seam. And, and with allowing people to see behind the curtain. <laughs> so you were back in Missouri. I was, uh, which, yeah. by the way, I know you don't watch Modern Family. No, I don't. Um, it's pretty good. Okay. Not as good this season as it was in the first season. Hmm. It's fallen off a little bit, but there have been some good episodes. But Cameron, played by Eric Stone Street, uh, his character is from Missouri. He's from rural Missouri. Okay. And there's a line just last night out of this recording, a few days ago, as of uh, the time you're listening to this, um, where his his husband, uh, I, I don't know, his partner, I guess, they're not, mm-hmm. it's, they're not legally, I don't know what the deal is. Uh, Cameron made some crack about Missouri. And Eric Stone Street was like, it's Missouri. No one in Missouri actually says Missouri. That's not true. That's not true. There's a big part of at least the bottom third of the country. But yeah. you know what? I, I mean, that's even too reductive because it's not necessarily just the su- the su- southern, the southern part of Missouri right. where they say Missouri. It's just in more rural parts of it. It's Yeah, I... It's commonly known as Missouri in a, a, lot, a lot of the state. Yeah, I mean, it might as well be... I mean, it really is kind of, it is mostly Southern, yes. Uh, there are kind of two states, you know. I mean, there are people that I know that live in Nixie, Missouri. As opposed to Nixa, Nixa Missouri. Missouri, which is, what as, it's far, actually as far as the letters in the words, <laughs> that's what it's called. But, uh, so a few years ago, I was back in uh, Nixa, Missouri, and... My brother and his son were in town uh, from Denver, Colorado, and uh, <laughs> well, that that almost sounds Italian. But uh, my nephew was—he's always been very rambunctious, and I, I, you know, I love him to death. I think he's really great. But I was on the computer. I was checking my email, and man, he was just bothering me. <laughs> Here's how he was bothering me: he wanted to play uh-huh. like a kid does, you know. <laughs> And uh, and I was just I, I just wanted to check my email. That's all I wanted to do. And he comes up and says, "Hey, Uncle Tyler, you want to play uh, cars with me?" I'm like, "Ugh, no." <laughs> and so so I'm just like, uh, "I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it in a few minutes." He's like, "Okay." So he leaves. I'm gonna say a minute and a half later, he comes back. Uncle Tyler, you want to play cars with me? And I'm just like, and the the imp of the of the perverse kicked in, and I started following it, but not all the way. <laughs> and I said. I said, not now, Aiden. And he's like, he goes, why not? And I'm like, because I don't want to play with you. (laughs) And then he goes, why? And in my head, I wanted to. I know my brother listens to this. And (laughs) as you know, I love Aiden. He's, He's delightful. But for some reason in that moment, I realized I could shatter this kid. And I wa- and I wanted to say something that is not true. Uh-huh. I wanted to say because I don't like you. <laughs> okay. Oh, excuse me. Oh, Dave. It never happens. And they, they can't hear. So yeah, uh, it was it was just a weird <laughs> yeah, uh, it was just a weird experience because I like my nephew. I d- but in that moment you realize, like you said. You're talking to somebody of a different ethnicity, and it's like, what if I just destroyed their day? And I realized, like, <laughs> I, I could think... ruin this kid's childhood if I, as an adult, lied and said, I don't like you. What a horrible thing. But I think uh, me, like, uh, yeah, that would definitely oh, no destroy question. the... But my, my thing, where if I, like, said something racist 
I think that would destroy my day, and probably more than just my day, more, more than theirs. Your face. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, other ethnicities are violent, is what I mean. Because I, my imp of the perverse is definitely very perverse. Okay. So I go to, <laughs> okay, I go to Denny's a lot uh, late at night, and I order coffee. And there are times when the, wait, the waitress, I, I go to the same one, so it's almost always the same waitress, and she's like the nicest woman in the world. Um, but there are times when I feel like she pours a new, a fresh cup of coffee, piping hot. And I think, what if I just threw this in her face? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's terrible. Hopefully nobody is judging us because I, I, everyone has this, I think. Yeah, I think they do. They may not admit it. And none of us do any of this. As I mentioned, I started heading down the road (laughs) with my uh, nephew because he was annoying me. And I expressed my annoyance of, I don't want to play with you right now. Yeah. Uh, but like, that was mean. I know. And then, and then he, but I said, I don't want to play with you. And he said, why? And in my head, it's like, uh, do I shatter this kid or, and then I said like, it's fine. Let's go play cars. And I went and played cars with him and it was a lot of fun. He's a delightful kid. And so, um, I've never met him. I don't think. No. I met he was him at my wedding. wedding. Yeah. 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 I don't think was, we had a conversation though. Uh, he wasn't very old. Yeah. He was like, uh, like three, three, four. He was, I think four. But uh, but yeah so yeah I hope uh, I want people to write in and tell us about their yeah please imp- do imp of the perverse so that I feel better about my own yeah <laughs> driving driving young children to suicide and scalding the faces of waitresses <laughs> that's who I am as a person um, in my mind anyway but uh, so anyway uh, but I did want to okay so I mentioned being in Missouri uh-huh. I was in Missouri uh, last week and. It was an interesting experience, and I wanted to bring up uh, uh, readers of the More Than One Lesson blog, uh, such as it is. It is not updated very often, but uh, I wrote a I wrote a, a blog last night, actually, um, at the time that we recorded this. What, what else would it be? And so, about my trip to Missouri, and now you you've been to Nixa before, not very often, but you've no. been there. Yeah. And uh, there is a video store that I used to work at called Video Update. I worked there almost two years, and it was also a very important part of my life because my parents and I moved to Nixa at the beginning of the summer '98. So at a time when everyone else is hanging out with their friends, like I don't have any friends because I just mm-hmm. got here. It was very uh, problematic. So I would drive over to Video Update, and at the time they had like movies for a dollar. So I would just rent movies, take them home, and I I was young enough that there are movies that I had heard a little bit about and I had never seen. And other times it's just like oh, it's a dollar. Who cares? I'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. That's how I saw Barton Fink. It's how I mm-hmm. saw Glengarry Glenn Ross. It's how I saw, and then there were none. It's how I saw M, Brazil, any like a number of movies, and. And it really is where my my film education started is this video update and I really wanted to work there but I was they carried porn and I was too young so I but I was there so often and I talked to the manager so much that eventually they hired me at age 17 when I was actually too young mm. to work there they didn't let me uh, go put away the porn which uh, was fine uh but it was uh like that's how badly I wanted that job, and and I loved working there. Mm-hmm. And then Video Update was purchased by Movie Gallery, which many people uh, might know of. And then Movie Gallery, I think, 
Did Movie Gallery buy Hollywood or did Hollywood buy Movie Gallery? I don't remember. Yeah, I, w- I worked for um, an independent video store. My first video store was an independent video store called uh, Star Video, mm-hmm. and it got bought by Movie Gallery. So there was a time when you and I were both Movie Gallery employees, or maybe you had already quit. I think I had already quit by that. But by we that both time. been Movie Gallery employees oh, yeah. at one point. Uh, part of that uh, that empire. <laughs> but uh, Movie Gallery, uh, like so many other video stores, went out of business. Mm-hmm. Hollywood out of business, blockbuster, well on its way. And my mom had, had, and I knew that that video store in Nixa had gone out of business, and my mom had texted me a, a photo of, um, like, that that building with a sign saying, like, going out of business or whatever. But because I hadn't actually seen, and then I knew that it eventually closed down, but because I hadn't actually seen it, there was still something in the back of my mind that said it was still there. And so, and it was very much a part of my routine when I would go back home is the first night I would drive over to video update slash movie gallery, rent a few movies, possibly see someone I know mm-hmm. and, and just go home. And, uh, my first night back in Missouri, I, I kind of went into my routine. My mom went to bed at like, 10 and I go to bed much later and so I thought well what am I going to do I'll oh I'll go rent some movies but I knew that it was closed but somehow I I wasn't I was acting on instinct instead of what I knew Uh and so I drove by and it was just this darkened building (laughs) and just you know remnants in still in there a big sign that said for lease but the movie gallery thing was still on the building and Unlike most video stores, it was actually not attached to anything. Uh. And so it's just a building surrounded by an empty parking lot. And it was just really, really sad. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, I forgot, sort of. I guess I'll pull into this Walgreens and go to Redbox. Uh And it was just, it was really, as strange as it sounds, I had, like, a definite emotional reaction every time I drove by that video update. Because it's not merely... It wasn't merely symbolic of the end of an era when video stores are going away. It was, you know, a huge part of my life, both as a customer and a movie lover and as an employee. And uh, and to think that it wasn't being used for anything at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I had a, I, it really, really made me sad. And I real and then, you know, and it made me think of. Of the larger era, you know, Borders is gone now. And well, not all. Mo- the ma- majority of them, like the even the one that uh, our friend uh, Wade Pasak, uh, the one that he worked at in Hollywood, the one that like did all kinds of business, that one's going away. Yeah. Excuse me, and uh, and then blockbusters are closing right and left, and and so it's really happening very rapidly that these brick and mortar buildings that used to be a big part of a movie lover's life uh-huh. um are going away and uh and it's very it's to me it's very sad to see i i feel the sadness for those specific buildings that you have a history with right um yeah cuz i think star video slash movie gallery is now like a tanning salon or something mm-hmm. um but i i'm not going to shed a lot of tears over video st- video stores or uh bookstores disappearing in general hmm. i think i think with uh things like netflix instant and other streaming services uh, movies are 
more available than ever before. And I think being a young, this, uh, you know, I was a 16, 17 year old movie buff and the video store is a big part of that. But I mm-hmm. think I'd be, I think someone who's 16 or 17 years old now, uh, I envy them. I envy them to a certain extent in that, of course, Netflix, I mean, now admittedly the video update that I, that I went to, uh, had a surprising selection of like foreign films mm-hmm. and silent films. But I know that most video stores don't, whereas Netflix, you know, Watch Instantly has a All great kind of selection. Stuff, yeah. So, yes, I envy them in that sense. But there is, for me, there was uh, an almost, uh, I wouldn't go as so far as say it was a religious experience, but I enjoyed going to the video store and just being surrounded by movies and taking time, like reading the back and deciding, oh, maybe I'll keep that one in mind, but that's not what I'm in the mood for for tonight. Like, I would pick out, several and just whittle it down to maybe three uh and that's something that i can't do as i'm scanning you know i have a roku box and i have watch instantly and Mm -hmm. that's where you know when it comes time for me to if i'm in the mood to watch a movie that is where i go first so you know i do this just as much as anybody else but i don't know it's not as it's not as much of an experience as as the other thing is so you've got all these movies at your fingertips here and you talked about uh borders and, and and whatnot yeah and uh, the borders near my work closed. I think just this week it finally closed, closed, mm-hmm. which is a bummer because stuff kept getting cheaper. <laughs> um, did you see, real quick, I retweeted somebody. Uh, did you see somebody who tweeted a a photo that they took of a sign, a handmade sign that uh, Borders employees had put on the window <laughs> of their store? Had you seen no. that? No. Uh, the sign said, uh, no... Uh, no bathrooms here. Uh, try Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Made me laugh. That's funny. Um, anyway. Uh, so it, I, it, it closed. But while it was going out of business and prices were falling, I bought, uh, you know, you mentioned M. I bought M mm-hmm. and Breathless on Blu-ray uh, at discounted prices because those are movies that I, for one reason or another, Felt that it was worth owning. Mm. Let's get into it, shall we? All right. This is the topic today, because uh, we sit here in the shadow of <laughs> your DVD uh, collection. Not Blu-ray yet. Right. It is, it is rather monolithic. Be- but behind uh, the times on that. Yeah, bit. yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, we were talking about this sitting... You know, we do... You guys listen to our first 20 minutes of the show and you think, oh, that must be them warming up for the show. No, we talk for 45 minutes before we yeah. even hit record. And a few weeks ago when we were doing that, we were talking about the idea of what makes a movie worth owning a copy of. Mm-hmm. So that's the topic right. today. And now let me, real quick, do you, you have Netflix Watch Instantly, right? Uh-huh. Do you have it You have it so that you can like, watch it on your TV? Uh, not at the moment. I need a... Another component for my Blu-ray well, well, look player. who's behind the times now. <laughs> I, mean, I have the uh, capability to do that. I'm just missing a uh, a piece of hardware. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, it's it is interesting. Uh, we I remember we had this discussion uh, off mic a long time ago with a uh, friend of the show, Kyle Kinane, uh-huh. in which he talked about not really owning anything. Yeah, uh, he didn't. He did not feel that desire uh, one bit. And you have a fairly sizable DVD Blu-ray collection. Yeah, it's not bad. It's no, it's no yours. Oh, thank you. I it's appreciate no that. your collection. 
Um, how many do you have, do you think? I don't know. Uh, let me ask you, how many do you have? I don't know for sure. It's over 400. Okay. It's I probably have, closer to 450 if you had DVDs and Blu-rays together. Okay. I have, f- if that's the case, I think I have about five, between five and six. Okay. Um, maybe more, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm very, very bad at estimating things. Like, I could look at those shelves right now and say, that looks about, like about 300, I'd say. No, I uh, think you have, I, I would guess you have clo- more than 600. You think so? Because you've got this whole other, I know people can't see here. Right. But you've got, like, where I, from where I'm sitting, I can see your movies on DVD. Right. But you've got an, an entire other section of television on DVD. That's true. And um, the, the Disney collection. Right, yes. Animated so, films, family films. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I have. I guess I have a lot. I don't even know. I don't know how to go about counting TV. I counted it like a season as one unit. Okay. Or would you go by disc? I think you go as by package. Okay. I mean it. It does like suck that you and I both have The Wire on right. DVD, and I, you were you supposed to count that as one? Uh, or do you count it as five? I don't know. Do you count it as far as shelf space, like how much it takes up? Because I'd say I'd still count that as five. I think I count it as one. I think I okay. do it as like per package. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, because um, I have I have the wire. I also have the office. The you know the original office, right. which is both series and the special. Yeah, I would count that as one. Yeah, I have the entire series of Doctor Katz and Larry Sanders and stuff like that. So those are big boxes. But uh, you know, and it's interesting because you bring up this topic at a time when. Uh, my wife has expressed because she she likes our DVD collection. We lend them to people a lot. Uh, we lend DVDs to people quite frequently. Um, Are you guys I'll, like the I'll, couple in another year? Are you Jim Broadbent and what's her name? Uh, I've not seen another year. Neither have I. But I, oh, okay. I know what the story is. Oh, I I actually have steered clear of the okay. story. Well, then I won't talk about. Um, but Jen actually brought up this idea because we've been you know much like yourself. Uh, we're doing a little bit better uh, financially than we used to, and so we're having. You don't know how I'm doing, but I'm doing okay. I mean, you, I'm looking at you, your tie, and I see <laughs> there is a man. This is a tie from H and M. This is what H and M. What is that? <laughs> you know what H and M is. Um, <laughs> this is a shirt from Target, so uh, you know I haven't let it go to. You, know, as, you have dark socks. I got the white socks here. Yeah, that's right. But. Uh, but we are, you know, so we're starting to think about what we spend our money on. Uh-huh. And also because we are slowly but surely starting to outgrow our apartment, <laughs> I myself have had to think about what I view as necessary and unnecessary when it comes to DVDs because we just keep adding shelves. And and so Jen had once, as we put up more shelves, Jen found herself asking is this excessive? Like, do uh-huh. we have too many? Is this something I should be embarrassed about? Because, you know, there, because is this an example of just this stupid American, there's nothing inherently stupid about American consumerism, but does this just fall into that? You know, that we just have all these, uh-huh. that's money that we could have given to a charity or could have, for example, saved and possibly bought a whole house. Um, <laughs> But like, and so you actually, it's interesting that you bring up the topic because this happens to be a time in my life when I am 
rethinking what I will buy and what I won't and do I have too many and why do I still own this? I've, I haven't watched it since I bought it. Stuff like that. So, well, I went, um, I went through a period where I was uh, pretty much from the time I moved to Los Angeles because I was, I was as broke as I've ever been. Um, but also even when I started getting my feet on the ground, I still didn't buy a lot of DVDs. I was almost, I was very, uh, like, spartan in my purchasing which is Mm -hmm. why i'm you know a good 100 to 200 titles behind you uh and i've only recently like started buying stuff again and my i found my priorities or my criteria have changed for the record i also do have very generous in-laws yeah you get a lot and i've been i've been married for uh almost six years now and so that's Christmases and strangely enough, much to my surprise, birthdays as well. Yeah. And so uh, I don't, and that's the thing. Like, see, I just had a knee jerk, like, well, I'm not buying all these. Right. I received some of them. Yeah. You know, and I received many of them, you know, and so uh, for some reason I get, I get surprisingly defensive about it. Um, but uh, I interrupted. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. what I was saying is that my, I found that my criteria have changed. There was a, a time when I was buying, and I still do this, like with M and Breathless, buying stuff that I thought was important stuff mm-hmm. you know and i i find that uh when it comes to that kind of heady stuff um i often want to seek out new movies within that vein mm-hmm. the kind of stuff i want to watch over and over again is generally more uh frothy a little lightweight. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I was like, uh, I, I went on a little bit of like a, a buying spree recently. I got like uh, like Blazing Saddles and Caddyshack, you know, some like comedies that I didn't have and, and uh, Super Troopers. Yeah. Uh, and some of the, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what else I bought, but a bunch of stuff that I never like. Well, stuff that I, And also, I like, because I, I was, the reason I mentioned just the comedies because I was like, Talking about fun movies and like the movies I bought were like Million Dollar Baby and Appaloosa, which are like mm-hmm. mo- not most people's idea of fun movies. Yeah, screw uh, those people. But uh, I thought those were fun, and I w- I don't understand why Appaloosa wasn't a more widely praised movie. I thought that movie was awesome. I really enjoy it. I think uh, I think it has uh, a structure that is not as acceptable or mainstream hmm. certainly for as uh as this is going to sound negative formulaic as a western can be uh-huh. and so i think the structure of of appaloosa is kind of uh, unusual and also it's it's hard to I, I think it's kind of hard to uh relate to uh the characters i still relate to them but they're not even clint eastwood and unforgiven like he has clear motivations all the time you know, he's got kids, but he also is trying to get away from his past. You have a really strong sense of that character, even though I find Clint Eastwood as an actor to be somewhat impenetrable. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I'm, I really like Viggo Mortensen and Ed Harris, but I think those characters, they don't give you much, which I think is a good thing, but some people maybe couldn't, uh, couldn't really latch on to them. That's my theory as to why uh, people didn't really respond to it that much. I really enjoy it. Okay. Sorry. So those are my criteria. Those those are my criteria. Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, criteria is the plural. Whatever. 
doesn't matter. Um, wow, you really bored yourself just uh, then. That was really <laughs> exciting. Um, what do you uh, What do you look for? What have you looked for in the past when owning movies? And what do you look for now? Uh, here's okay. So I, I'm trying to think if it's. Uh, I was thinking about this. I, I think I, I've got it broken down into three categories: mm-hmm. rewatchability, mm-hmm. recommend recommendability. Yeah, that's a good one. And I wish I could come up with another R, but uh, principle. <laughs> now, principle has faded over the years because if I bought, if I still bought movies solely on the principle that this is a movie I should own, I would own Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey. Uh, Space Odyssey. That's exactly the example I was thinking of. A movie that, yeah, a movie that, as we all know, I do not enjoy. I respect. I think it's you know it wound up being what number three on the BP listeners list of best movies of all time. You'd know better than I would. It was like three or four, and uh, and I'm fine with it having that placement. It is a great movie. I think I do not enjoy it. I don't often recommend it. And I don't, and I would never, I've seen it, I think, three times in my life, and I'm, I'm good. I might see it again <laughs> before I die. Um, it might be the thing I see right before I die. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, and so, so that's a movie I don't own, but maybe a few years ago, if I found it for a you know, reasonable price, I might have bought it. Uh, same with uh, Metropolis. Metropolis is a movie. Now, I, don't, I haven't seen the, the re- no, I haven't seen the cut version. I I, yeah. I hear it's really great, but I've never enjoyed Metropolis. I always respected it, but yeah, I never see that. Enjoyed I think it. you're crazy on. There I mean, was a time when I felt similar to the way you do about 2001. Mm-hmm. Although I I have watched it in the past couple of years and mm-hmm. uh, found it a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, but Metropolis has always been just a blast for me to watch. It's it's. It, it has always been, for me, a bit of a slog. I understand why it is respectable, and I understand why it is good. But it is not... So, but, like, I could throw in Cabinet of Dr. Caligari right now uh-huh. and enjoy the hell out of it. I could throw in The Last Laugh. Uh, I have... Uh, I own Nosferatu. I don't enjoy as much as I used to, but I can watch it more frequently. Um, but Metropolis, for some reason, I just never... I never got into... Um, but I feel like it's a few years ago. It's a movie I would have want. I would have wanted to own on the principle that it is a movie that should be owned by somebody that loves movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Like film nerds sem- tend to feel this obligation to like this thing, mm-hmm. even if they don't like it. And just and it's like there's it's a movie I don't like. That's fine. There's plenty of movies I love that other people don't like. It's not the end of the world. I don't have to do this. And it co- and it's probably going to cost a lot of money if you want to get a good version. You know, Kino and Criterion are pretty th- relatively pricey, mm-hmm. and so so principle is the thing that has kind of faded away a little bit for me. Now it's rewatched, and now whereas rewatchability has come more to the forefront. That's why I finally pulled the trigger and bought Dirty Work <laughs> because as as we've talked about, I can watch that. I'm going to say from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, <laughs> and I will still laugh. Did you see Norman Tom's new special? I, his special, no, but I did watch the first episode of Sports Show while I was oh, in I Missouri. Did, that I haven't seen. Man, I enjoyed it. But uh, I highly recommend his special, which is called Me Doing Stand-Up. And I highly recommend the Sports Show, because even though I know nothing about sports, huh. uh, you don't have to know anything about sports. Also, this is going to sound... Inter- I don't know. I don't know if this is a an okay thing to say 
you can tell it's Norm MacDonald having a blast. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think of him as a guy who really... He always seems like he would be a prickly person. <laughs> but you can tell, like, he has total control of the show and he loves it. And the jokes he's saying, he loves saying them. It's just... you can. There's a real sense of joy in that show. And I enjoy it a great deal. But, um, but yeah. Uh, so, rewatchability is, is a big is a big thing for me now and that's uh that informs a lot of the things that I that I buy now because it used to be that cuz you know we we make our our top 10 movies of every year uh-huh. and it used to be that if a movie was on my top 10 fair assumption I'm going to buy it uh that's not necessarily a guarantee anymore uh there might be a movie that I love and I respect but I know it's just like I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna pop it in casually. Like as my, like Black Swan was my favorite movie of last year. I f- that th- there's a principal thing where it's like I feel like I should own it because I do love it. I really do love it. But I don't know how much how often I'm gonna be like. Oh, th- I'm feeling it. This is a light night. Let's throw in Black <laughs> Swan and uh, once again uh, kill ourselves. But uh, so rewatchability has sort of uh, emerged. And then there's the third thing, which is recommendability, which I will get to in a moment. I've been talking for a while. Well, the yeah, rewatchability is probably the main thing for me. But that what that even means to me has changed as I've matured. Because mm. there was a time when rewatchability would have only meant things that were either like uh, very you know funny, like Super Troopers or 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 Snatch, you know, mm. or like. And Snatch is not a movie that you really love. Some people really love it. And I remember you not being a huge fan of it, but saying that you could watch it easily anytime. And I have. Yeah. Like, I've watched it. Like, I watch Snatch and Training Day a lot. <laughs> and and uh, Spartan, the, mm-hmm. the David Mamet film, I watched that one a whole lot. Uh, but, um, yeah, there was a time when rewatchability would have pretty much just covered comedies and action movies mm-hmm. largely um but now i find that as i've grown older and become a more patient and thoughtful person uh, uh there there will be blood is a rewatchable movie for me mm. I, I could i could watch that at any time and maybe part of it is having a bigger tv yeah <laughs> and, and, and stuff like that uh but yeah it is rewatchability but that doesn't mean the same thing it used to oh yeah yeah you know I mean, if I had seen, well, I did. Like, my experience in watching Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love mm-hmm. is very different now than it was then. At the time, I found it kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I, 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 it's on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not I'm, sure where you're headed. I'm going to say mannered, but that's not what I really mean. Um, and now <laughs> I almost feel square saying this, but like in the movie for love is like an exciting movie to me yeah. now, <laughs> you know, my, the way I, the way I view things has changed. Like, I mean, in the mood for love isn't exactly, uh, I don't know. What's an action movie. Die Hard. It's not. I I was gonna try and think of something more recent. It's not Transformers or whatever. Mm. There's not a lot of action in it. Yeah. But I think of it as like this really fun, cool, and exciting movie. 
Well, and we and we've discussed this before movies that we can watch over and over again and how sometimes it's not what you expect it to be. Dirty work, you kind of expect it. Uh it's not a very challenging film. Uh-huh. Um but then there are other movies for me like I realized that I like Affliction, I owned it on VHS. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like that movie, I love it. And I and I watched it a lot on VHS and then I realized like why do I not own this on DVD? Uh-huh. And then I bought it and immediately lent it to Jason, who still has it. But whatever, it's fine. Uh, um, but and then who all directed the, Affliction? Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. Okay. But uh, all the President's Men is one that I can watch over and over. I, I find that to be an enthralling movie, in, sp- in yeah. spite of the fact that it's mostly just people on phones. <laughs> uh, and uh, and yeah, it's just yeah. I, I mean, I see what you mean. Like as I change as a person and as a film lover. I mean, of course, the, it's it's Indiana Jones and and you know, well, I guess Dirty Work again, uh-huh. and, and uh, the o- Ocean's Eleven, the uh, Soderbergh version. Those I can watch over and over again. That's almost a given. But at the same time, I can also throw in. I mean, I can watch Twelve Angry Men any time of the day, mm-hmm. and that didn't used to. Be, I don't know. Just there's a certain degree of intensity, like. I know people that watched No Country for Old Men once, and they were good. I find that an immensely rewatchable movie. Yeah, I could. I've, I've watched it many times. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I now, I now have the Blu-ray. It was one of the. Uh, mm. My girlfriend got me a Blu-ray player for mm-hmm. Christmas, and also six movies on Blu-ray, and one of them was was No Country for Old Men. And as I've as I've said before, there are movies. Okay, for example, oh, and she just got me for Valentine's Day Treme season one. Another reason that oh. you need to get a Blu-ray player oh, so you can borrow it from me. Damn it! <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not. I'm not going to let you force me into this. <laughs> um, but uh, then there are some. Okay, I own the movie um, Thirteen Conversations About One Thing. Uh-huh. Very good movie. I enjoy it. Do you like it? Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Okay, I guess that makes you better than me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Sort of the high point in St. Louis. Oh. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> sorry, I was reflecting on uh, movies in spring uh, theaters in Springfield, and there's a lot more than there used to be. But anyway, uh, so thirteen conversations about one thing. As a movie, it's not one that I really feel like I should own. As far as Alan Arkin's performance, I want access to that any min- any any minute of the day uh-huh. because I love that performance. And as you know, performances are a single performance is sometimes enough to draw me to a movie. Um, and there's a lot of great performances in that, but, uh, and then there, it just, and so that's one that I, I had to own. Yeah. That's the thing I've gotten into more recently is buying a movie. Like I, great example. You and I talked about it when we had Polari Alessandra on the show. By the way, we are on her show. Oh, yes. Uh, this most recent... Well, no, at the time this goes up, there will have been a second one. Yeah. But episode 188. 188, on. okay. Um, but when we had her on the show talking about Aaron Sorkin, we talked about Philip Seymour Hoffman's opening scene, like the introduction to his character in Charlie Wilson's War. Mm-hmm. And I bought that on DVD. Uh, I don't think it's... Uh, it's not uh, Mike Nichols' best movie by any stretch. It's not... Uh, you know, it's not a perfect film, yeah. but it's worth owning on DVD for me for that scene. And like the idea, like that, I can just watch scenes from movies, which is like 
Uh, that's been that's been the case since DVD started. Right. But I I've only in the last year or so come to actually embrace that that I can just like Did that used to be like a blasphemous thing for you? Yeah, like to yeah. me if I was going to watch a movie I was going to watch it. But now I'll pull like Scott Pilgrim off the shelf and watch one of the fight scenes just cuz yeah. I'm in the mood for it. I just bought that uh, recently. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's uh oh shoot, now I took Oh, okay. The Lady Killers. The uh, I own the original uh, Ealing comedy, but I kind of want to buy the Coen Brothers version. It's not a good movie. It's uh-huh. it's like surprisingly I, th- they can be a little broad sometimes, but even for them, it's really broad and just ridiculous. It's just slapsticky, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But it, there's a lot of things about that movie I don't like. Mm-hmm. But I love Tom Hanks in the film. Uh-huh. I think he does a great job, and there's other performances I enjoy as well. And there are sequences that are that are fun, but his performance is just so, just silly. It's a silly performance that he's clearly having a lot of fun with, and it really captures the spirit of Alec Guinness in the original, even though the characters are very different uh, in execution. And I, I kind of certainly I won't pay more than four or five dollars for it, uh-huh. but I kind of want to own. The Lady Killers, because I want to watch, I want to sit down and watch Tom Hanks have fun with a crazy performance. Uh, speaking of the Lady Killers, this is slightly off topic, but still about movies. Um, do you, if a group of your friends is going out to see a movie, they call you up, say, "Hey, you want to go?" And it's a movie that you don't want to see. Will you not go, or will you go to have the social experiment? Experience. It, it depends on the friends, and it depends mm-hmm. on the movie. Because uh, I. Now I think I would just go because I've become a much more social person mm-hmm. and I've come to see that how how that's important as far as being a, a member of a civilization right. a society it's good to be social whereas I used to be uh staunchly antisocial. Mm-hmm. I think and this is something you said about me once but it's still one of my favorite descriptions of what I used to be like and the, what I still have a lot of. You said David no man is an island, but you're like a peninsula. <laughs> um, and uh, I always like that, but it also kind of like spurs me to be a little more social. But yeah, I remember some people calling me and saying like, hey, we're all going out tonight. We're going to go see uh, Lady Killers, a new, the new movie. And I was like, I, was, I like these people and I would love to hang out with them. But I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to see that. I've heard nothing but bad things. Invariably, there have been moments when I find myself seeing a movie I have no interest in. Because I'm already out with that group of friends, and they decide, let's go see American Pie 2. I'm like, ah, come on. Wait, no, and one you them, and I watched American Pie 2 together. I know, it was my second time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you may recall that when we watched it, it was the night I found out my father died, and I needed uh, something to distract me. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a little weird. Yeah, was, yeah, sorry. Sorry I, couldn't, sorry I inconvenienced you. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't mean it was inconvenient. That was almost exactly... It was almost exactly nine years ago. Wow. But uh, the – and then the other one was, of course, like I said, it depends on the friend. Mark Kelly was in town in Chicago. Friend of ours, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to hang out with him, and so we all went to go see uh, Finding Nemo, which was sold out. And so you and he decided, oh, let's – we haven't seen Matrix. No, you had seen Mag- Matrix Reloaded already. Yeah. He had not – I had seen it and didn't like it, 
And you wanted, and you had seen X two, yes, I think, and you wanted to go see X two again, absolutely. And I wanted to see Matrix Reloaded again, and he hadn't seen either, right? And he was the tiebreaker, yeah. He decided on Matrix Reloaded, yeah. But you know what? I think I win. I think uh, I think everyone X two is definitely a better movie than Matrix. Reloaded. No question about it. But I still defend Matrix Reloaded up to a point. <laughs> I'm glad you filled that in because I was <laughs> going to say to a point. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, it's a very good movie to a point. Yeah, at this point, I think the only reason I would turn down an invitation like that, I mean, obviously, if I were already busy, mm-hmm. but the only reason is if it were a sequel to a movie I had not seen the original of. Because I won't see a sequel that I haven't seen the original of, even if they're not... Like Final Destination. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't... I've only seen the first... No, I've seen the first three, but I haven't seen the fourth one, so I won't go see the fifth one in the theater. Five and all. I, I won't see Five No Destination. Uh, my friend Quinn said Five No Goes West. There you go. Um, uh, I won't go see that because I haven't seen the fourth one. Even though I know they have nothing to do. I already I know the premise. Yeah. Um, you were surprised that I'd seen the first three Final Destinations. Yeah, that uh, I expected you to say the first one because I like the first one. And then maybe the second one. You went three with that. Yeah. That's really something. I like those movies. There's something... I have a, I mean, there's, a, it's just, uh, it's, it's become a formula that is 100% predictable and it's about like creative ways to kill characters and there's something compelling about like, let's see what crazy Rube Goldberg contraption is going to cut off this guy's head. Hey, don't get me wrong. I've YouTubed them all and, uh, that just cuts <laughs> you. That's like watching the scenes. It just right. goes straight to the death and I don't have to deal with all the stuff in between where they're like, look, we have to have lines in between these scenes, right? Ugh, no thank you. But the um Like I saw the guy who was like lifting weights and then like the weights smashed That's in the third head. one. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the third one wasn't that great. It had some good kills. The the second one is I think a lot better than people give credit for. The I mean the first the f- first final destination is uh I'm paraphrasing a review, but it's like as close as you can come to making an actual good movie with that premise, and I think that's a good I think way that's of summing it up. It's it's kind of ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but it, I mean it, it it does fit in with certain. Okay, God help me for going in this direction, but like it quote unquote explores certain ideas of fate and destiny, which mm-hmm. other movies have explored, and philosophically are an interesting idea. The idea of you know the universe or fate or God correcting something that shouldn't have happened in this Uh case, death like that is it's, it can be silly. And the idea of using that to make a somewhat trashy exploitative horror movie, I think is actually rather novel. And I, I really like the first movie. Uh, And I, I I don't really, I never really thought about it in those terms. I think of, I just think of it as, as the, Genre of uh, the first one is more of a suspense film, and the second one is a, the second and third are trashy versions of. They're essentially slasher films where the slasher right. is some yeah, sort you of you can't stop it. Yeah, it's some sort of unseen hand of fate, you yeah. know. But the first one is, uh, while it has that, is has some serious and mature and very competent uses of suspense, mm-hmm. and I think I, that's why I like it. But the second one has the best opening, like because in the first one he gets on the plane and it blows up and then he wakes up and he realizes 
that he's still in the plane and it's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. And that's it. The plane just blows up. The second one has an amazing like 40-car pileup that must have oh. taken most of the shoot to to film it's so intricate and like there are in just within the dream sequence of of the pileup so many creative and horribly gruesome kills like there's the one the truck that's carrying huge like uh huge like tree trunks Mm -hmm. on it and this the thing breaks like the rope breaks and and they start piling into the road and one of them like falls off the truck bounces and it bounces up just right at windshield level as the cop like drives into it and the the entire entire tree trunk goes like through his head and his his car there's really cool stuff like that (laughs) let me ask you this has there ever been uh and of course you haven't seen all of them but i have to assume that the further they further out they go the less likely this has happened Uh uh that this has happened um has there ever been a character, and this goes back to my talking about them possibly exploring a theme. Has there ever been a character who says, like, hey, I was supposed to die? Like, they embrace the idea of it and just let them, and they just let themselves die? I don't remember. Let themselves I don't think die? So. I don't know. I feel like that would be an interesting yeah. twist on it. That, like, if that's the idea and this was the plan the whole time, then uh, why fight it? Can I describe one more kill in the second one? Sure. This isn't in the dream scene, this is just toward the end. Um, they're at a farm and a van blows up. I think it's a news van blows up next to a barbed wire fence and sends a section of the I've fence s- flying through the air and it slices this kid into like five pieces. Yeah, I, saw, I, I did see that on YouTube and uh, that's pretty neat. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Um, okay, so we're off off the rails a little bit. Uh, not unlike, uh, you know, the train that, uh, no, I guess it's not off the rails. It's on the rails and then it sends a piece of aluminum sh- uh, cutting Sean William Scott's head in half in the first film, and that's a nice touch. It doesn't it nice decapitate touch. him at the neck. Yeah, it gets him like mid jaw. Yeah, and like kind of at an angle. Yeah, it's a nice. That's a nice touch. That is a nice touch. I appreciate it's these little like things. That. Exactly, anyway. it's the subtleties of the Final Destination series that I like. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about a couple a couple other things uh, in reference to the actual topic. Um, one is that as time is, and I think I've talked about this on the show before, but ne- de- definitely to you, uh, in some ways I have become something of a purist. Uh, I, with a couple of notable exceptions, I do not necessarily require the deluxe two disc edition of something. There are some movies that I just love and I want to own, and someone's like, Would you like this? And I look at the second disc, and if the second disc has like deleted scenes, or whatever, I I don't usually care. I'm not really willing to spend the extra money. I don't watch deleted scenes anymore as a matter of principle. I don't think I ever watch them. I think because part... I know this is wrong, but part of me is just like, well, if it wasn't good enough to make the movie, that's not the issue at all. It's not always the case, but I don't like... If I've only seen a movie once or twice and I've seen the deleted scenes once... I'm going to have a hard time remembering possibly years down the yeah. line like wait was that in the movie or yeah and it, so I don't like to color my memory of the film by watching the which is the deleted scenes kind of the same reason why I don't uh I don't watch like a director's commentary anymore is I don't like my view of a film to be colored by what the director meant to do 
you know, there are some, and I know this might sound unfair, but there are movies that are that were incredibly difficult to make, and the filmmakers had to overcome a lot of obstacles. And the film they make is unfortunately only subpar. And I think there are people who hear about the trials and tribulations that the filmmakers had to go through in order to make the film, and they're like, "Oh well, given all that, the movie's pretty good." It's like, yeah, but it's still not good, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't. You know, I like to view the movie on its own, and not he- and not necessarily hear behind the scenes stuff, which can be interesting. But I think I think it came about when I started to embrace the idea of being a critic as opposed to the idea of being a writer. This is a much deeper conversation that could actually be its own episode. Okay, uh, but um, this is something that uh, it's been almost going on a year since uh, our friends of the Slash Filmcast had Armand White mm. as a guest on the, on their show, and this thing that he and um, uh, and and Devendra got uh, had a discussion about mm. about uh, about uh, Transformers and uh, Devendra talking about how Steven Spielberg was more involved in in the production of the first one than mm. the second one, and that he can see that in Armand White saying essentially that even knowing that hurts your ability to criticize the film, and they're both completely valid points of view. Right, you know that. Avengers point of view that you can see, you know this other this other hand, and uh, and uh, Armand White's point of view that the movie is the movie, and on that on that subject, I tend to agree more with Armand White. Yeah, on that lone subject, I <laughs> yeah. think maybe I I and and it, it gets me questioning whether I'm right, um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I you know the I kind of I kind of agree with that, like. Um, uh, not even kind of. I think I definitely agree with that now. Um, and so, now it is a little different with older movies for some reason. For example, uh, Night of the Hunter was just released on DVD and Blu-ray by Criterion. Uh-huh. That has great special features. It has a making of that is three hours long. The wow. movie, to my knowledge, is about an hour forty, uh-huh. hour and eh, maybe maybe more than that. I don't recall. I did just uh, see it at the Egyptian, and it was a lot of fun. But um, that is isn't that's in depth. And what's more is, you know, unless you really try to avoid it, there's you know when you find out about when you go to see there will be blood or something like that, already you know some of the things behind it. Just if you take any interest in the filmmaker at all. Sometimes you just can't help but find out, oh, the funding fell through this one time. Or, oh, the you, like you follow the entire casting process or something like that. Um, and sometimes you know it even without seeking out the information. Whereas with older films, the only, the only way you're going to know this sort of thing is if you seek it out. And I'm interested to know how the public received... Night of the Hunter and the mm-hmm. effect that that had on Charles Lawton, and I know that 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 sort of that sort of goes against my idea of. But a, a critic is to a certain extent also an an historian. I guess there's that, yeah. And so I think there's a difference between like an interview with Robert Zemeckis from the set of the Polar Express, yeah, that was recorded by the studio during the during the production for the express purposes of the special edition DVD. That's, that's true. not really history. That's 
It's a promotional tool. Yeah, maybe it's that, is that when you watch re- uh, retrospective making of things, often they will talk to other critics uh-huh. because a lot of the filmmakers are dead now, <laughs> you know? And, like, I I own four of... They've, they've released and re-released and re-released uh, those old universal horror movies, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, you know, Invisible Man, all those. I own four of them. The I Creature know. from the uh, Black Lagoon. And The Mummy, yeah. Like, those are the big six. Um, and I count Bride, and, Bride of Frankenstein and Frankenstein as, as one, even though they are separate. But It's one franchise. Yeah, as far as characters go. It's, a, it's one universe. Exactly. Um and so, uh, so I own a lot of those, and and I love what they, each of them. The versions that I have, each of them have uh, like a nice one hour, one hour and ten minute retrospective uh, documentary about the filmmaker, the actor, the makeup process, the effect that it had on culture at the time, the effect that it had on horror uh, that has gone that has lasted through the ages. And that to me is very interesting. And in that, and of course, you know, they can't talk to James Whale or Bella Lugosi. They talk to critics who special who have specialized in horror. They talk to Rick Baker when they talk, you know, when they're uh, talking about the Wolfman and stuff like that. And uh, and that sort of thing I do find interesting because again, it is it's still analysis, and that can color my attitude as well. But it's still someone from the outside. It's still really a discussion about it instead of a discussion coming from the inside and in that case it sort of if a filmmaker's talking about it it kind of ruins mm-hmm. what you might think the film is and that sort of thing so that's that's another thing is in the past i would want like the absolute deluxe edition all the time yeah and now i've gotten a lot more like i just i bought the one disc scott pilgrim because i just like the movie i mean i'm yeah. sure the making of is interesting but I just like the movie, and that's what I'm I remember watch. having this. Uh, this is uh, I think I got to that before before you did because back mm-hmm. when we lived in Chicago, I remember when you worked at Blockbuster, I came into your Blockbuster to buy Master and Commander the week it came out, mm-hmm. and I went straight for the bare bones edition. Yeah, and you were like, "Well, it's, it's, don't you want this one? It's two discs. It's got all this stuff." And I'm yeah. like, "They both have the movie, right? <laughs> that's what I'm going to watch." Then they released like a three disc thing. Yeah, that. Uh, Man, that's a great really, movie. That is a that is a wonderful movie. I didn't appreciate it at the time. I thought like that was good, and then uh, I think it might be one of the best movies of the last ten uh, of uh, the aughts. It's re- it's really great. Yeah, it, it was enough to make me forget that moments before seeing it, uh, an ATM ate my debit card. Oh, I went to the theater. They didn't take ATM, so I walked down the street to. Uh, um, they, or they didn't take a card so i walked down the street to an atm and the thing ate my card so i walked back to the theater it was a four dollar theater it was the 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 village north mm-hmm. um uh, you and i saw plenty of things there um and uh so i walked back with my backpack and paid managed to scrounge together the four dollars or 450 in like times and nickels and stuff because the movie was about to start and yeah. i was I, but yes, Master Commander was good enough to make me forget that I just had my debit card eaten and it was going to be a big pain in the ass for the next couple of days. And enough to make you and I forget that neither of us thought the movie was going to be good. Yeah. I remember when you, when you and I first saw the trailer, both of us were just like, ugh, that looks so, ugh. 
Like for some for whatever reason, the trailer just looked just awful. It's also a, it's a more unwieldy title than Legend of the Guardians: The Owls of Gahul. <laughs> it's like Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World. Yeah, like there's nothing in that that grabs anyone. Yeah, that's true. Except, and and to me at the time, I sur- I didn't know that there was a huge series of books that everybody just loves. Right. But um, anyway, so, I think we've kind of covered the topic here. Well, I do have the last thing, which is recommendability. Oh, okay. Um, which is, as you know, as I've mentioned already, uh, I lend movies to people, and um, I used to never because I'm mm-hmm. again uh, antisocial and incredibly materialistic, and I, uh, I fetishize my collections of CDs yeah. and records and, and DVDs and Blu-rays, and I don't want anyone touching them or getting them out of order. Yeah. I've changed. I've loosened up on that. Now I'm okay with lending stuff to people. The problem is that I don't have any friends anymore, so yeah. no one ever wants to borrow anything. And the few friends I do have, I don't. I don't like people being in my apartment. Yeah. So I don't. Lend, I, I I don't seem to lend anything to anyone, but I would. Uh, I have. You know, it's it's gone bad for me a couple of times. Uh, I I once. Uh, Lantana. Yeah, but I had to re and I rebought that, yeah. but. It's here's the thing. It goes bad and then much better uh, because uh, like I lent uh, a version of Rear Window to somebody once huh. and uh, and never saw it again. Uh, and it was somebody I shouldn't have lent it to them. I was just trying to be a nice guy. Uh, it was someone who was almost a stranger. Um, I mean, they, they were having dinner at my house. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's so another difference. I mean, you nodded when I said you, I don't like people in my apartment. But you, you guys have people over all the time. I know, but I as but at the same time as you know, I've known you for many years now. Uh-huh. And every time you come over and you need to use my restroom, like I go in first. I leave once you go in. It's not like I just sit there and watch. <laughs> but uh, I go in to make sure like it's clean. Like I like to put on a. I don't like surprise visits or anything like that. I will have people over, but only after, you know, I've meticulously prepared, at the very least emotionally, uh-huh. uh, to have people over. But anyway, so I lent somebody this uh, rear window, and then I never saw it again, and it really bothered me. But then Universal, uh, was it, it's Universal that did rear window, right? Like, I want to say it was. Yeah. Or I, was it Paramount? It shot on the Paramount lot. Okay. Yeah. I think it's Paramount. Because the Paramount lot it. has, um, I'm sure other lots do, but I've spent way more time on the Paramount lot because mm-hmm. I used to work there, uh, um, has like plaques outside of all the sound stages saying what shot, okay, what famous things shot there. Well, whatever the case may be, they so released- I know Rear Window shot at Paramount. They released a, ni- a, re- a much nicer, as far certainly as far as packaging, but they released this two-disc thing, and as I mentioned, I like- older you know going back with older movies and and you know uh finding out things about them and so i was just like oh well i do need to rebuy rear window i guess i'll buy this one because it was and it was much better so i traded up but uh but i do and this is this is where we'll get into some i don't know some stupid philosophy but like i feel like as a critic living in los angeles it is and as someone who knows a lot of filmmakers and a lot of actors, it is my responsibility to, you know, I talk movies with people, and I'm not saying I know everything, but it is surprising, maybe you've encountered this, it is surprising the number of, let's just say actors, the number of actors 
who have no sense of history mm-hmm. and they don't know a lot of their and maybe not even history. There are working character actors right now that that you know younger actors know nothing about yeah you know um for example uh the visitor and richard jenkins they wouldn't you know i know people who never heard of the movie they didn't even remember that he was up for best actor like they don't follow that sort of things like but you can learn just as much yeah that, that doesn't bother me though i've I, it doesn't an, I don't an get artist ups- has to follow her or his muse that's all well and good Except I don't. I don't care how they get there. I mean, but the question is, like, will will they get there? You know, it's it's. I don't know. I feel like a critic's job is to educate and to and in the idea of wanting to encourage people to make the best possible art. If that means like, hey, here's here's an actor that you might be able to learn something from. At the very least, you're introducing somebody to something that they were unaware of and will probably enjoy. And so I lend, and again, I, I'm sorry if it makes it sound like I'm looking down on these people. It's nothing like that, but it's just, uh, that's one thing that I try to do is I have a friend who, um, oh, not look down on them, but <laughs> help help them out and encourage them to, to seek out things that they, not that they wouldn't like. But are you but afraid of coming are, off a little uh, superior? Uh, I'm af- I'm afraid of coming off that way. Yes, but at the same time, it's just you know there's a there's a guy that I that I know and only just recently met, and he's a really nice guy, and he you know he wants to be an actor, and and uh, and I said like, oh, have you seen the Social Network? Which at the very least, if you're a an actor in your early twenties, it wouldn't hurt to see the Social Network because that's a lot of modern actor uh, acting of people in that age group and it'd be interesting to see what that would be and and also ask yourself well how would I have played that and stuff like that so and he said no I hadn't I said okay I'm going I'll lend you did you want to see it that is the other question that uh-huh. I ask and they say yes and I say well okay I'll lend it to you and and then it's like oh did you see and then hey have you ever seen this movie LA Confidential there's a lot of great things there and often I will ask what kind of actors do you like? What kind of actors influence you? And then I will think of an actor that is similar or a film by that same actor that they haven't, they probably haven't seen and that sort of thing. And it probably does come off. I don't think it comes off as superior, but it might come off to the listener as superior, but I don't know. I feel like it's uh, sort of our responsibility. I think in an episode in which you described your desire to shatter your nephew's ego, we any concern about how we come off it's fine okay. I, I think people understand you know <laughs> i hope it's so. all right i hope so but what i was going to say is that you know if if i do say well would you like me to lend you the social network and if someone ever says no i just throw coffee in their face <laughs> but uh but anyway and so so that's the other thing is is that somewhere in between in between principle and rewatchability is there's a movie that I that i really enjoy maybe i won't watch it enough maybe i won't watch it a lot like but I do know that it's it has at least one element that I rec- that I will be recommending to people right. a lot, and I also whether it be a uh, whether it be that I'm trying to quote unquote teach somebody something or not, I am a big fan of hey you should see this movie, but you know what, 
rather than have you go spend money on a movie that it's entirely possible you won't like, you can just borrow it, and that way you're not out any money if you don't enjoy it. I don't know. It seems like... But how long... If you have... If it was your idea to lend something, mm-hmm. how long do they keep it before you start pestering it, pestering them for it back? I don't pester them. Okay, good. Um, I say, they they say like I haven't watched your movie yet. And I say it's fine. I'm sure you're busy. Keep it as long as you need to. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I think we covered this topic pretty well as far as what we personally mm-hmm. look for in buying a movie. I I don't think we've set down any rules for other people. Uh, I mean, but I mean, you've laid laid out some points that might be worth following or, or at least considering. Uh, is that what we were trying to do is lay out uh, ground rules for what, other people? I, I never know what we're trying to do. Our, all our topics all right. are so abstract. Yeah. Um, of late. Anyway, but uh, I do want to go completely off topic here at the end and use my bully pulpit here, here to mount a small defense for Wes Craven's Scream 4. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to go political or no, something. No, no, no. Um, I I do that earlier in the show when I when I have something to do something Indeed. to say. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wrote a review on the website and I wrote about how much I really really enjoyed the movie. Um, but I feel like now that there's been more reviews and more discussion, more people have seen it, I want to rebut. Mm-hmm. I feel like the people who don't like Scream Four walked in with an idea of what they wanted to, the movie to be. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that, and it disappointed them. Mm-hmm. So Scream 4 is not... I will no spoilers here. There will be no spoilers. But Scream 4 is not a Scream for 2011. It's not looking at the current horror tropes the way that the 1996 one was. Mm-hmm. Scream 4 is a movie about the fact that 15 years on... Scream itself is a franchise and a type and a movie. It's a Scream Four is not a movie about horror movies. It's a movie about the Scream franchise, and uh, it does fold in on itself quite a bit. And if that's your complaint with it, then I completely understand. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you want to write a movie that is a deconstruction of the first person found footage uh, or security camera horror that has become. So torture porn of late or torture porn, which is definitely addressed in screen four, but, okay. uh, um, then you know what? Write it yourself. Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven made the movie they wanted to make. And I think it's a much more interesting movie for that. So like who all doesn't like the movie? I have people. I don't want to name names. people. Lots oh. of people. Lots of people don't like it. And oh, I'm, okay. I was after, after having seen it uh, at a, you know, a screening, you know, I saw it a few days early. No, no big deal. Uh, I was sure that it was uh, people were going to be as surprised, uh, like as pleased by it as I was. Mm-hmm. I've just been very disheartened that people have been. Sucks to be the only one who likes or doesn't like something, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like the kids are all right, for example. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So I think people should. Uh, I still give haven't Scream seen it for I mean, a chance. Because, you know, like yours was, a, I would venture to say, a glowing review. Uh-huh. And I've read some that are not that great. And then I know that there are some that I've read say that it's it's pretty good. Not great, but it's pretty good. Um, so, like, it's enough that I'm interested, certainly. Uh, because, as you may recall, I didn't have a lot of 
hope for it. I certainly didn't like the third one, but I know that certain people weren't involved in that one. So uh, one certain person. Was it Williamson? Yeah, Kevin Williamson. Okay. I mean, the Wes story was the by him. One? Yeah, Wes Craven directed. Oh shoot, I forgot. Yeah. My one complaint with Scream Four, and it's a big one. It really bothered me as a big fan of the Scream franchise. Scream, you don't like Nev Campbell? No. Screams 1, 2, and 3 all, at some point, made use of the song Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It's a great song. It's nowhere to be found in Scream 4. Why not? I don't know. Maybe Nick Cave was like, ah, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it really bothered I kept waiting. I was like, what's going on in here? I love that song. It's an amazing song. That song should be in every movie. <laughs> I'm upset just on principle that it's not in this movie. When it sounds like it absolutely could have been. It really should be in every movie. Yeah. Just go with it. Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> I didn't see it, but probably could have used some Nick Cave in the Bad Seat. Yeah. All right. This discussion has gotten ridiculous. So let's wrap up. You can find How us- terrible do you think we came off in this gen- in this whole episode? Oh, man. I, I don't even know if we should post it. Okay. Uh, you can find us at BattleshipPretension.com. You can email us. Uh, I hope you will about how awful we are as people. Or email us your own stories about the imp of the perverse uh, at david at com or tyler at com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension or follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review podcast, previously on at previously on show dot com or on iTunes. Absolutely. And I did want to uh, uh, say, uh, Matt, I love Aiden. He's delightful. <laughs> There's nothing, I have nothing but uh, goodwill towards the lab. So, uh, so thank you for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.